Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome in to the Creep Dive main episode. Is that what it is? This is Tuesday. Wonder we like to keep it loose. The weekend's been. This, oh yeah. <clears throat> Wonder if we've all made it. Through the weekend. Yeah. Um, no. No, Probably unlikely. Not. How are you? I did a lot of soul searching about this story. Uh, namely that, that I was scared I had done it before. Then we had a discussion about it and we became worried that Jen has done it before. But then I gave you a simple headline that I'll repeat now to test whether you had done this story before or not. And the headline was socks made out of forearms. (laughs) And you didn't seem to know what I was talking about. Of all the things. Of all the things. Glamorous though, wouldn't they be? Seems like weird, stupid. I would say they'd make your feet really sweaty. (laughs) <laughs> would you have the hair on the inside or the outside the hair of the forearm yeah oh, well no you wouldn't turn it inside out you'd keep the hair on the outside yeah propel away the we've foot. got the squishiness then and the warmth the extra adipose tissue on the inside exactly. your original lug exactly <laughs> so okay i'm taking us back to 1972 
People's hair is long. Flares. Flares. Drugs. Yes. But not with these guys because they're Christians. Oh. Um, well, somewhat Christian. What are they? They, they're, they are Catholic. <laughs> yeah, they're religious. Um, okay, so basically. And also, I never knew this about this story. So this story is the story of Uruguayan Air Force Flight 571. Or to those of us who were born in the 80s, Alive! Yes. So that was a film that they made about this starring Ethan Hawke. It came out when we were about nine. So it was the first time I'd heard of this story. And this story, I would say I've thought about it nearly every day of my life since. Um, and it is the story of how a, a flight carrying a rugby team um, across the Andes that was smelly, in say. Chile um, crashed mm-hmm. in the mountains. Um, and I never knew this, but it, they took off on a Friday the 13th. Well, there um, was their first mistake. I knew it. How many people were on board? Okay. Let's see. 40. Yikes. Wow. I actually just still feel so sick from all those Google image searches. Sorry. But I'm just going to try and shake it off. Okay. So, um, the flight was carrying, sorry, so 40 passengers, five crew. And it was a flight that had been chartered specifically to bring the this rugby team of like young guys. They were called the Old Christians Rugby T- Union Team to an away match over in Chile. Old and Christians. um, yeah, I mean that's just the old name. the old Christians, the old the old, the old Christian brothers. I mean that's in Norg, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Anyway. And so they all, it was the rugby team, it was some of their friends and family, and then there was like just a couple of randoms who'd like bought tickets for a seat on this flight, just, uh, you know, randomly. Like there was one woman who was like flying back to go to her daughter's wedding. There was another couple who were like in their mid-30s that were just kind of hitching a ride as well. Um, And so basically they took off and they... There was a whole thing with flying over the Andes at the time. So the Andes is the mountain range that goes like from north to south, basically down Chile. Mm-hmm. I'm terrified that somebody knows proper. I like your pronunciation geography. of Chile. I know it's really hard because you're supposed to say it, but it just seems like really wanky. Like I'm overpronouncing French words. Go it's on. like going in and being like, I'll have a jambon fromage, you know. <laughs> So yeah, so there was all these things about flying over the Andes because they're so high that like some of their highest peaks are at the same level that a like a small aircraft would fly at, like thirty six thousand like twenty thousand feet and yeah, yeah. Exactly. And um they were supposed. They were supposed to not fly over them in the afternoon because uh, there's something about like hot air rising science. Mm. It was yeah. definitely not advised to fly over them in the afternoon at that time of year. And there was this whole weird thing where, like, they were about to embark on the flight. The weather wasn't looking ideal, but they had to leave because the plane was like a private plane. They weren't allowed to stay in the, like, airport where they were for any longer. They had to, like, get up into the air and either fly backwards um, or go on over the uh, Andes and on into Chile. And so, basically, 
couple of things. Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. Science around flying over the Andes in the afternoon. Bad, Bad weather. Mm-hmm. Bit of bureaucracy about not being able to stay in the airport where they had landed. Um, pressure from the team to get going. There actually was. Chanting, There was pressure from the team. And they, do you know what as well? They'd, they were just after coming off a high old time seeing Barbara Streisand the night before. <gasps> You're kidding. Yeah. Oh. Imagine that being your last taste of civilization. That's a good one now I to mean, be truly, fair. I mean truly to go out on a high. If I died after ABBA. Would have been grand. Would have been grand, yeah. I mean, even better, died at ABBA and had a stunning light show for a wake. Beautiful. You should, that would be, wouldn't that be amazing if like ABBA started leasing out the avatars to people who wanted to have them at their funerals and mitzvahs, send-offs, I think the future looks really exciting with that um, avatar technology. Imagine them on the altar of your local church. Yeah. Officiating your wedding. I'd go to mass. <laughs> Absolutely stunning. The uh, the future, the possibilities are endless. endless, limitless. You could have ABBA in your living room. Okay. So ABBA, thank God, were not on the um, the old uh, flight. Uh, what the fuck is it called again? Five Air, Air Force Five Seven One. Excuse me. So. That was the other thing. This plane was like known for being a real shitbox. Like the actual type of plane that it was, um, was, uh, yeah, just kind of known for its shitbox prop uh, properties. Um, it was called something like the like sled of the sky or something kind of vaguely uh, derogatory. And um, they had there was two pilots on board, uh, one of whom was like. Really, really experienced um, Faradas. Um, he had a total of he, over 5,000 hours of flying under his belt. And he'd been in the Air Force. Um, but luckily, he not flying the plane. Lucky. Lucky. Mm. Uh, instead, we had the co-pilot, a guy called Hector Laguera. And unfortunately, he was like, effectively like on his learner's permit um so like uh for as the experienced guy had flown over the andes like 27 times for uh laguera not at all was he not sitting beside him he was beside him yeah yeah was beside him um so anyway um they yeah so the idea was that you would um be under the instruction of the more experienced pilot um but things happened fast shall we say so there is like a direct route from where they took off mendoza to santiago um but uh as i said because of the mountains being so high that they're almost like impeding um flights so instead the uh pilots have to like really carefully calculate um a route through that kind of uh, means they don't consume too much fuel mm. but also manage to avoid the mountains and um so yeah it, it was um a lot going against them the f- morning conditions were bad and um they was expected to improve in the afternoon um but as i said they kind of waited and waited and uh then finally they took off at 2 p.m friday the 13th of october and um headed up into their death basically uh they were um flying 
at I'm so sorry hang on one sec that's it that's the name of the uh, given to the airplane the lead sled oh gosh so they were at capacity and they were heavy and because of there was cloud cover the pilots were having to fly under their like instruments guidance instead of like they visually seeing the visible, peaks yeah mm. yeah their visibility was really crap so they were just trying to like basically fly by the um radar sonar or whatever the, yeah the um the instruments and they were at an altitude of like 18,000 feet and they still couldn't actually confirm their location um so they Everyone on board had no idea that they were kind of struggling yeah. and that it was a testing flight. The whole of the rugby team were like, they were playing cards and they were talking shit at each other, having a great crack. Because the game they were going to was kind of like a, not like, it was like a friendly, it was like a display game. Like, and it was just them basically taking a week's holidays to Santiago. And they were all like in their late teens, early 20s, some of them, but like, mm. you know, some of them were as young as like 17. And um, they were just, like, having the crack. And then, basically, they started to, like, feel this kind of, like, really um, severe jerking up and down of the um, the aircraft. And they were, like, fuck, like... But they, nobody could see anything outside yeah. of the plane. And then suddenly the plane, it felt like it dropped quite a significant amount. And suddenly, through the clouds, they could see a mountain face... Um, literally about 10 feet from the edge of the left wing of the plane. And it, I mean, it happened in a manner, matter of seconds. The wing hit, snapped the wing off the plane. And then there's some debate, but I think it seems that the wing in turn severed the b- tail of the plane. <gasps> yeah. Immediately Blowing a hole out the back. Well, cutting off the tail of the plane that <laughs> dropped out of the sky and several people sucked straight out of the back of the plane. And um, then, I mean, obviously this was all happening in like complete chaos. Um, and the second the plane like flipped and the second wing got torn off as well. And then basically the plane was just like the kind of torso of it. Essentially, it was like a big metal cigar full of like presumably screaming people yeah. like fell down out of the sky um, and hit a glacier. And the, the, the crazy thing is that if the plane had hit at even like a fraction of a degree out in terms of angle, mm-hmm. it would have like exploded on impact. Yeah. But it hit at like such a precision, perfect angle that instead it glided, not glided, it like shot down this glacier at like 200 miles an hour until it then eventually like stuffed it again, like Cassie into the brick wall into a kind of a mm-hmm. snow drift, stopped the whole main body of the plane. At that point, how many people were dead? Only the people that got sucked out the back. Well, um, they knew from that point that five people had immediately been lost when the tail of the plane was cut off. Three passengers, the navigator, sadly, and uh, one of the flight attendants. Sucked off. Sucked off. And um, Sorry. (laughs) What a way to go. Um, yeah, yeah. So basically, it was like a high speed toboggan, basically. And what about the and pilots at the front? Did they get done? 
when on impact yeah so the experienced pilot died on impact they knew he was dead because his whole kind of head and shoulder had been forced out the side window of the cockpit that's it's that is a sign sadly of that death. is often a sign of death yes um so do you remember the play? Do you remember the pilot who got sucked out the window and the other pilot had to hold on to his legs? You did that story a while ago. Both <laughs> yes. survived. Both survived. The window blew out and one of the pilots sucked right out. There's a great photo of that. <laughs> um, so anyway, rest in peace to that. Um, rest in peace um, to those exp- five people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at least four more people died just from the impact of the plane, uh, the nose hitting the snowbank. Losers. <laughs> just the shock of it, what? The anxiety killed them. There's nothing wrong with just laying down and giving up, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> but the impact was insane. So basically, you know, like rows of seats, whole rows were just like shot to the front of the plane yeah. when they stopped. Like concertina anyone yeah, sitting in Yeah, the- like, so oh. the, like the rows of seats ripped clear off the floor and shot all the way to the front so loads of people were it was it caught in the concertina of a lot passenger of easier seats. seatbelt would have been that would have been you were fucking you. going along for the ride fiddling around with, with the yeah. stupid seatbelt yeah yeah totally and um the pilot the old poor old trainee pilot was Not like a scratch was it no 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 oh. he was completely trapped in the nose uh the cockpit was all like crumpled like a can you know and he was trapped in there and he was just begging them to shoot him they should have they were trying to so uh, basically they snapped to it and started the rescue yeah. of themselves almost immediately so the captain of the um of the actual rugby team was like kind of um, immediately sort of stepped into this kind of leader role and um, sort of just started organising. was just like, right, we need to get everyone out of here. We need to, you know, assess the wounded. You know, there was people who were dead outright. They were all brought outside. Mm -hmm. As soon as they were working to free um, different people from their bloody stupid seatbelts and as soon as somebody was freed they immediately started helping with the effort as well because there was like you know a, you know a good like 30 something people um, all like in this kind of mad just kind of um, metal, metal tube like metal mush like shit everywhere luggage everywhere the seats having all ripped up the entire inside of the plane was like really fucked up um, by no, the impact. no sign of a fire yet no fire mm. yeah and that that's both like well, it's a bit of a it's blessing and a godsend like the plane didn't explode but also it meant that they never really had anything to make a fire out of for the whole time that they were stranded there and mm. um, like there was just nothing flammable on the plane and um, so except for the fuel they also among some of the uh the dead were um was the team physician, sadly. A very, mm, very, very bad bit of luck there. Him, yeah. yeah, yeah. And his wife and a couple of medical students. Damn. Yeah. Right, so anyone useful. And all the while they were trying to help everyone out, Laguera was just like kind of crying from the cockpit. Just kill me already. To shoot him. To, yeah, for them to shoot him. Was his legs trapped or something? He Completely in... trapped, oh, yeah. Okay. And like... Um, they probably couldn't get to him either necessarily. 
Exactly. They were, well, they were working their way through. If you think about it, all of the kind of uh, wreckage of, from the inside of the craft was like impacted up the front at the nose. Do you know that kind of way? So they, it was dense. They were pulling out through people's seats and stuff like that. Yeah, it was really hard. And basically, um, there was two, so they immediately had to set up a triage. Um, and so there was two medical students on board, Canessa and a guy called Zerbino. And they had both done about the same amount of medical training as you or I have done, Jen. Maybe not even as much as Cassie has done. Mm. They were like in their first year and they'd spent most of their first year in the kind of uh, psychology side of things. Useless. Useless, but also in a funny way, kind of not useless because they did have some um, kind of foresight about how what how they reacted now as the kind of medical authorities among this group of people Mm. would would be important in terms of the rest of the boys having faith in them yeah yeah that kind of way so for example there was this lad called Enrique who had a piece of metal pipe sticking out of his abdomen oh god and he was like oh my jesus and apparently Serbino was just like that looks fine Okay, you gotta that keep looks it fine there. to me. Stay keep positive. it there. He was like, well, there. that's what I would have said. Yeah. But anyway, Zerbina was like, no, no, that looks fine. Help me get this woman free. Like, so kind of distracting him. Yeah. And then he yanked the pipe out. Him. Oh, amazing. And six inches of intestine came with it. Bad move. Enrico. That's it. You keep it there. Now it's he's probably dead because if you keep it in there, he's gonna get sepsis or something. Now I've learned all of this from Station Nineteen. But he's <laughs> gonna get sepsis or some blood disease if well, it's infected. But removing it is like creating a huge big well, hole. Sometimes if you remove it, so much of uh, this is totally Doctor. cleaned off out of movies and stuff. But you know, if you pull the knife back out, the wound bleeds more. Yeah, and yeah, stuff like that. But um, no. Uh, they used, they were very like ingenious from the off. They used cologne to clean the wounds Clever. Um, of the passengers. Yes. Um, and your man, uh, Enrique, with the, the intestine hanging out, immediately started just helping other people. Um, the shock as well. My, there was yeah. a guy... Um, Spraying himself down with Lynx Africa and just... <laughs> get on with your day. There was, um, it's mad, like the thing that basically proved most fatal was... Uh, Fractures, like pretty much anyone who broke a bone didn't survive this. Ordeal. Why would that have been? Mm, I think just it probably they, is yeah. fragments into the blood and things like that. Yeah, or they piercing other dead organs weight and complaining a lot, so people just forgot to feed them. There was one that too. Uh, <laughs> one guy, um, a guy called Nando Parado, had a, like as his whole skull was fractured, and um, like they just put him out with all the corpses. Right. And um, so, obviously, they immediately were like, there's going to be a search effort mounted. Mm. And, you know, we, be we just need to survive to until survive. they arrive. We just need to, like, do what we can here. And, um, you know, a big thing was we just need to survive this night. Um, so they got out all the, like, lipstick and nail varnish that they could find among the luggage and they wrote SOS on the top of the plane. plane. Um, excuse me. And um, basically, the first night, they had things like, they kind of managed in that first few hours to clear out most of the uh, the fuselage, the plane. And they built big um, 
a barricade of luggage in the big opening, the big hole to in the back to, stay warm. to try and stay warm. And so like temperatures that first night uh, were like minus 30 degrees centigrade. Centigrade. Yikes. So like that's no just, fire. No fire. That is during the first God. night, five people died. God. Um, your man, uh, the pilot, eventually stopped moaning. Rest in uh, peace. And they knew he had gone. Um, they had, yeah, 28 people all crammed into the broken space. So that was 28 people stuffed into a space about the size of this room. Yikes. Like eight foot by nine foot. Like massive. Mm. They were trying to keep out the cold. Um, and they could do the emperor penguin thing where you spend some time in the middle. Oh, yeah. And then you move gradually to the, the outside. The greatest yeah, irony is yeah. the person in the middle was probably too warm. <laughs> yeah. Genuinely. <laughs> gasping in here. Yeah. Um, and so they did spend that night, like, in obviously it was absolutely freezing. And like, the cold of that level doesn't feel cold, it feels like severe pain yeah and they one of their kind of methods was like punching each other to help try and keep circulation going not a bad method not bad and also punching each other's feet so that everyone's hands and feet the extremities that would be really vulnerable to frostbite were getting circulation yeah but like i mean they described later the survivors like just that is the not longest night imaginable yeah like one of the survivors wrote later that like he thought at one point that he could see a light and he was like oh my god thank god i've made it through the night thank god and like crying and then he looked at his clock and it was like nine o'clock oh my god 9 p.m so it was really really bleak um and so they had heard on the radio uh no no they hadn't sorry the the uh, search and rescue had immediately uh started searching the area within about an hour of the um, plane going the down plane going down okay um but there was just no um no sense really of where they were yeah at all and um so the area included the the crash site i'm just talking about the search and rescue had started up pretty fast pretty much immediately oh yeah sorry i shouldn't be repeating oh i've broken the fourth wall doesn't matter i'm editing so i'll just leave it in (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah the uh, search and rescue were looking in the right space, space, but they could not see the SOS on the top of the plane. And One the plane light was white. snowfall yeah. would have just cleared that completely. Yeah. And none of the black box stuff, the old, they couldn't obviously get a hold of it. They also just thought that, like, the, um, that they were only searching for bodies. Oh, they just okay. thought nobody could have survived a crash. And uh, basically on day eight... Day eight. They stopped searching. <gasps> at what? And at day eight, how many people were left alive? So basically, I'll go back to our lads. There, the first night, five people more died. Hypothermic. Okay, so how many they people then, are left? I feel like two people get on a bus, one people gets <laughs> off, the bus driver has blue eyes. They're travelling 40 kilometres <laughs> an hour. Uh, when is the train hit? 28 minus 5, 23. It's 23 left. Okay. Um, they are pretty much one. all like young boys. Any as women I said. left alive? There's one woman who's in her 30s. She was traveling with her husband. 
um, uh, so they're still alive at this point um, and so they start to get like really organized they're all mm. like you know kind of like I said Marcelo Perez is the captain of the rugby team and he becomes the kind of leader just yeah. like de facto leader especially because like loads of the kind of like more authority figures like the doctor and and people like that people's parents are dead and um so um Perez organizes the groups um there's three groups there is one the medical team so that's obviously um mm-hmm. RL pals Canessa and Zerbino with mm-hmm. their like 10 days of first aid and they're doing a fucking great job. And then there's like um, entertainment committee. It's the ends officer. Yeah. There's the treasurer. There's a group that their entire job is making water. So like, and then there's another group that their entire job is keeping the camp clean. They did have a fire at this point, I presume. No, how were they making water? So this is like one of the first things they came up with. They they got really ingenious. Mm. So they made, they came up with a method, which is getting, they had ripped aluminum sheets out of the inside of the plane. And they basically, one of the guys uh, made a kind of a funnel contraption and they'd put snow in it. And just during the day, the the sun would let the water drip and they'd have containers, vessels to capture it. That's very good. It was actually so hard to get the enough. production up enough because... Well, the minute the sun went in, all of it would turn to ice. Absolutely. And also, um, the snow, it was actually really hard literally just finding clean snow. Oh, yeah, because don't eat yellow snow. Yellow snow, genuinely any kind of infection, massive enemy at this point in yeah. your survival. Yeah. Also, there was a lot of snow that was stained with like oil and stuff from the crashed airplane. So they were having to like trek and find clean snow. And also the other thing is that, at, so they're at altitude. They're at about 12,000 feet, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And at altitude like that, well, you're already, your body's working way harder than it has to at sea level. And it's um, thinner oxygen. You need something like five times the amount of water that you would need at sea level because this is really interesting because of the thinner ox the thinner air you have to breathe more rapidly which expels more Carbon literally steam yep. like out of your body so you need to consume loads of water and it's obviously making me feel really thirsty and wait you will die of thirst way sooner than you die of hunger yeah three so days you, you die after three days you could die of thirst yeah not before um, going crazy you could last without food for like over a week, maybe yeah. longer, depending on the person. Mm. Um, but water, so was a couple of days realized here. straight away that water was going to be the most important thing. Um, and so then, as I said, and they, no more search party. Well, they didn't know that the search party had been called off. And they did kind of like, certainly in the first night, in the sheer panic, they had had something like eight bottles of wine. And in the first night, they drank five of them, like desperately trying to keep warm, and thinking, trying to get calories. The rescue squad will be here. Yeah. And then it was the next morning that like Perez, the captain, got really organized and kind of was like, actually, I think we need to act like we're bedding in. And he yeah. basically took charge of things like the rations. And um, so, for example, like their ration of food for uh, the day would be like a square of chocolate and like the deodorant cap, uh, the cap of a deodorant of wine. Okay, pretty bleak. That would be it. One of them really famously has this like whole passage in his book, Miracle in the Andes, about this chocolate covered peanut he has that like on day one he puts it in his mouth and he sucks the chocolate off. 
and then he puts it in his pocket and then the next day he takes it out and he really carefully splits it in half and puts one piece in but puts the second piece in the pocket for the next day oh God. we are talking lent levels this of rationing is seriously this is like weight watchers levels yeah it's we're point it's counting yeah. big time and they had tried to like they'd obviously ransacked the plane for every kind of any supplies that were going and like there was just they were being really inventive like there was a guy who was called strouch and he was very or fito sorry fito and he was the guy who'd invented the um the water melting um scenario he'd also rigged up things like hammocks to put the injured boys up off the ground the of the freezing plane. ground because if you imagine they're walking in and out of this tiny space and it would easily be filled up quickly with people lying injured on the ground so they had to figure out a way to get them up and out of the way mm. um because they were being stood on and it was you know chaos was still raining i mean it was still a group of terrified young boys do you know what i mean um and there was other kind of issues like snow blindness on a glacier. So they were on a glacier. There was nothing but white forever around them and peaks. Mm. And like if anyone's ever seen the Andes, like they are jagged peaks. They're fucking amazing looking. They're like serrated teeth sticking out of the uh, earth. But like so like inhospitable in terms of... <laughs> in the- Upon like there's no they like, birds. They're not going to send no... out a couple of lads as a rescue team, for instance, to go scope out to see if they could reach. Well, while they were hoping to be rescued, no. They mm. were like, we just need to survive here until someone finds us. Um, they had... So usually with them, um, if you're on a glacier or like even, yeah, in snow conditions, you'd have like goggles or um, special UV glasses Um to prevent snow blindness so that guy Fito kind of like made like using sunglasses and he got all these like visors and leather from around the the plane and basically what they are is like glasses with like flaps all around them so that basically absolutely no light can get in behind it because it's like really dangerous snow blindness and like you know inconvenient would happen very easily at that point um, and so he was very inventive. He used a brass strap, some wire, and sun visors to Oops. create these um, goggles. And they also m- removed all the seat covers and started trying to make, you know, warmer clothes and things like that with everything they could find. Um, and they also made snowshoes out of the cushions of the seats. And um, so. Basically, three days in, um, do you remember the man with the smashed skull? Yeah, who was who put on was the dead body pile. On the dead body pile. Nando woke up. Oh, you'd be raging. Yeah. Would you not? That just they'd been like, oh, see ya, you're yeah. gone. How did he survive? Who knows? Well, he just, the heat of the, the boiling bodies as they all started mm, to decomp outside. No, actually, the reverse. So basically, it smashed his skull. And if that had happened, like in sea level, normal environments, his brain would have swollen and he would have died. But because of the freezing conditions. He went into some cryo mode. Yeah, and the brain didn't swell. Yeah. And he actually just basically got up and was like, all right, I'm up and about. What's what do you need me doing? Oh my God. Yeah, and he said, like, so he was able. To, to feel press his, on his skull yeah. and feel the brain, the squishiness of oh the different gosh. chunks of skull I'd pressing say, like buttons. As tempting as it is to press, not try and not a good press. idea. 
But the mad thing is, like, the brain has no nerve endings, or it doesn't have sensation. No, you it can't. So, fe- you can't feel when someone's prodding into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So it must have been such a fucking weird feeling, like a bag of jelly. Yeah, crazy. Now, sadly, Nando was waking up to some pretty bad news. Yeah, his best friend and his mother had both died. Oh dear. Oh yeah. dear. Oh, and he was trapped on a yes. glacier in the yeah, middle of the yeah. Andes. Yeah, and um, so his his nineteen year old sister was alive but severely injured shit and he basically just devoted himself to her and um, trying to keep her alive without success she oh, died on no. day eight. Oh no um there there was 27 um basically of them left at this point uh, still a lot still a lot still a lot but that's a lot of meds to feed with no food they had no medical supplies. Their clothing, like they they had been basically on a flight, you know, just gear. wearing air texes and yeah. blazers and shit. Like they had like no equipment. Um, they had three pairs of those sunglasses to prevent snow blindness that they were all, um, you know, uh, rotating, rotating. Around. So then they found a small transistor radio. Um, jammed down between seats on the plane and this guy uh, Roy improvised this really long antenna using electrical cable from the plane like they're fucking amazing like this is they're into day eight of like eating half a peanut a day and putting the other half back in your pocket took a long time to find the radio though well it they came it it, and did it work yeah he actually got it work and working just in time to hear the news that the search was being cancelled. Oh my god! Yeah, but was there a two-way communication option? No, right. Just Not with that FM. radio. Just lyric FM. Not with that radio. But they were obsessed with the fact that in the tail of the plane there was a battery, and if they could find the tail of the plane, that they may be able to work up a two-way system. Okay. But with what he had gotten rigged up there there wasn't two ways that he was just tuning in basically to basically hear all about how they were now facing uncertain death and there's a passage here that describes that moment the others who had clustered around Roy upon hearing the news began to sob and pray all except Nando who looked calmly he's the squishy brain guy up at the mountains which rose to the west and Gustavo came out of the aircraft and seeing their faces knew what they had heard. He climbed through the hole in the wall of suitcases and rugby shirts, crouched at the mouth of the dim tunnel and looked at the mournful faces which returned towards him. Hey boys, he shouted. There's some good news. We just heard it on the radio. They've called off the search. (laughs) Ents officer. Ents officer weird and they were like why the fuck is that good news and he says to them because it means that we're going to get out of here on our own as in we have to do this ourselves it's a reach and it's a reach but they said that him doing that actually sort of changed the changed the course of this huge flood of despair yeah yeah kind of galvanized some of them like as always there was like personalities in the group that like were able to rise to the challenges and there were people who say perhaps had physical very bad physical injuries some people just you're like hey, come on 
It's over. <laughs> well, you've got that much bad luck in your life. Call it a day. And what this is my question to those. Okay, yeah, some people go out and they write the book and you do the interview. But living the rest of your life in trauma. <laughs> like, come on. Why bother? Yeah. Fine. Just lie down. We live in some sort of multi-universe system anyway, so you're just going to hop into another reality where you haven't been in a plane crash. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. warbyparker.com covered. <laughs> um, so, yeah, some were like Cassie, uh, defeatist, <laughs> reveling in their defeat. But in the main, like the level of teamwork is really the only thing that meant there was any survivors of this, like is absolutely wild. So this was how little food they had, right? They had eight chocolate bars, a tin of mussels, three jars of jam, a tin of almonds, a few dates, candies, dried plums. And as I said, the bottles of wine, which they'd fairly cracked into on the first night. So they had their like tiny supply um, but, you know, it was inevitable that the food would run out. And they'd started trying. There was absolutely no, like, vegetation. There was no animals on this glacier. There was no birds flying overhead. Like, there was just, like, it was no the life. most lifeless place on Earth. It was lunar. It was like the moon, you know? It was just crazy. And so they even started to try and eat parts of the plane, like trying to eat the cotton inside the seats yeah, and the would. leather. Mm, yeah. um, but that was actually then making people sicker. And uh, so they knew the, re- uh, the rescue had been called off. They were literally night after night on this glacier, just growing weaker and weaker, just like staring into each other's eyes. And staring into the abyss, basically. And it was kind of like starting to become kind of... Well, one of the survivors describes how he was looking at the wound of an injured passenger. And it was like kind of crusting over and... it, But it was raw, like raw flesh visible in the center... And he describes, he puts it that he felt his appetite rising and basically that his body was recognizing what his mind didn't want to know. We're going to have to eat that our This friends. is food. Yes. And that, you know, you need food and this is yes. food. And um, so how, it was, how long did it take them to, so what day was that? 
nine or ten days in oh about 12 that's um, a long time they, oh they really really they, held out they did hold out yes they absolutely. should have gone hell for leather immediately and cracking open the wine the first night. yeah roasting up your man that the first guy that died the um literal spit roast honestly like so much props to them for trying to eat a plane before trying to eat a yeah. nearby dead person i mean that is how much these guys did not want to do this. I mean, they were all really religious, like deeply mm. spiritual. Yeah. And like, they just obviously believed it to be so taboo. And also like to try and overcome the fact that these were your family and friends. Like, yes, there was some strangers on the flight too. Would you rather eat a stranger or eat your family? Definitely my family. Like, you don't know where that stranger's been. Fair. Um, There's not a lot of meat on my family, though. No, they're, they're all very they're tall, tall and lean. And tall and lean. Beef starving afterwards. Yeah. Desperate. Mm. Yeah. All that effort, effort to wrestle one of them to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> For what? Bit of crispy skin. Exactly. <laughs> so, your man had just looked at the old oozing wound and couldn't help but think, bolognese. And... Who can blame them? They were like well over 10 days. Uh, they'd long since finished their pathetic oh. rations from the plane. Um, they could basically f- like feel the physical sensation of their bodies consuming themselves. Mm. And the other thing is that like... Keto. When you're... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their breath was foul and they were at their goal weight. <laughs> um, the other thing was that... At altitude, your body, like even if you're not even doing that much stuff, it's still consuming and needs way more calories than it normally would. Like I read at one uh, figure of a, an average person needing 15,000 calories a day to exist, to exist at altitudes. Of that oh my height. God. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So I did so, a lot of scoping around because I was like, that seems like, because like, that's at least what, like twice I don't know. No, what wait, the st- the way more than twice, like uh, five times what an average person would need a day. So the the youth was on their side here, obviously, but they were and deteriorating. I fast. also think as well the fact that they were like really good athletes. Yeah. So they, they could fit. they couldn't have been in a better position physically to be turfed into this shit situation. Um, they were also like I said, they're very devout. So it was like. They both read, they, sorry, they all did a lot of soul searching about this next steps. It was, uh, everyone knew. It was, it was kind of dawning on everyone at once. And they basically, the conversation began with them, the survivors, telling each other, you must eat me if I die. I see. Like, you have my permission, please use my body. Yes. To live. And then, you know, they'd all be kind of like, mm, and then their gaze would drift to the now the piles of bodies were at this stage like fairly covered and frozen and frozen and things like that um and so Knessa the doctor the doctor um he has a passage in his book describing kind of coming to the decision our common goal was to survive what we lacked was food we had long since run out of the meager pickings we'd found on the plane there was no vegetation or animal life to be found And after just a few days, we were feeling the sensation of our own bodies consuming themselves just to remain alive. Before long, we would become too weak to recover from starvation. They'd also become too weak to help themselves. We knew the answer, but it was too terrible to contemplate. 
The bodies of our friends and teammates preserved outside in the snow and ice contained vital life-giving protein that could help us survive, but could we do it? Mm. For a long time, we agonized. I went out in the snow and prayed to God for guidance. Without his consent, I felt I would be violating the memory of my friends, that I would be stealing their souls. We wondered whether we were going mad even to contemplate such a thing. Had we turned into brute savages or was this the only sane thing to do? We were pushing the limits of our fear. They basically decided collectively that they were going to do it. Um, I mean, it was. It seems like the most tragic Conclusion. kind of way Con- to do it. Conversation. Like uh, they, they sucked all the joy out of the food as well. Yeah, yeah they weren't even going to like enjoy this, the human jerky. Yeah. They were really like, and there were some people in the group who just couldn't do it. Okay. And like they weren't, it seems like they weren't like judging. It wasn't that. It was just that they like couldn't bring, couldn't themselves. bring themselves to do it. And so basically, Knesset describes taking broken glass from the aircraft windshield and cutting a matchstick sized strip of frozen flesh. So tiny strip. And he was the first to do to do it, to eat. And then kind of drip by dribs and drabs, the others followed suit. And kind of as the days continued, more and more, more and people more. were kind of like succumbing to it. Um, so they didn't start rationing the bodies? No. And were people choosing to eat their friends? So they had agreed that they wouldn't eat Nando's sister or mother. Okay, because he was still alive. Out of respect to him, yeah. Um, Like I said, they had tried to eat everything from pieces of luggage to strips of leather uh, torn off um, off the plane. And like he basically said there was nothing else to eat unless they wanted to eat the clothes they were wearing. You know, it was just aluminium, plastic, ice and rock, you know. And how many people did they get through? Um... God, in total. Like, did they I take to the... I mean, they were... Okay, it started so this is day with, 12. Yeah, I mean, it started with them eating the kind of, you know, the meat from the buttocks and yeah. thighs. But, I mean, you know, by the end of this ordeal, like, they had eaten, like, organs and, yes. you know, like... Okay. It, with, but they started to regain energy. But they were like, um, they couldn't cook it and they were drying it. They were trying to dry it in the sun to kind of make it more palatable. But there were some passengers who literally in the process of trying to swallow it down were bringing it back up. Oh no. They just like, they just couldn't, you know. Um, Very tough yeah, on the yeah. as well, wouldn't it be? <laughs> it would. Um, so... 17 days after the crash, um, it was coming to the end of October, and, like, every night was fucking hell on earth. Like, every night, even though they had improvised more warm clothing, and they had the water, and now then, since they were cracking into the meat, like, like they were, you know, getting better, but on the 17th night of being stranded... One of them woke up in the, they were all like piled into the fuselage to sleep. And he woke up hearing this like roar of a sound. A plane. An avalanche. Oh, for (gasps) God's sake. Yeah. (laughs) 
serious? Only I mean, like, for the that guy waking up, they all would have been completely fucked. Because basically, seconds later, that guy was buried up to his fucking chest in snow. Holy inside shit. the plane. Holy shit. Oh my shit. God. And so, he immediately started trying to dig himself out. He'd felt somebody, like, bite his toe. And he, so he knew where that person was. So he immediately started trying to dig that person out. And like, we all know, like with Avalanche, we've talked about it before on the podcast, the way the snow is moving so fast and then sets as hard as concrete. So there's no digging yourself out. No, like, I mean, yeah. And also like, even if you manage to get like an air pocket in front of your mouth, you will use up that oxygen like that, you know? So God begins his punishment. God begins, I mean... Actually, uh, yeah, I wonder if they thought that. Obviously you would. So basically, the plane was filled inside up until just one metre short of the roof. So there was basically like three foot down from the roof. So what's that? That's like just from your chest to your head fits, basically, or your waist. And um, there was a whole rake of them like uh stuffed in there but eight of them died oh god eight of the how many 26 that were left 20 are we at three now jesus yeah including perez who is the captain oh Shit. no it's definitely morale morale major um major so how what do they do next so what they then had was an even tinier space in which to be trapped and the plane was buried. Mm. So your man who woke up first, Enrique, he had like, obviously started immediately digging out anyone he could find around underneath him. And then he went to the uh, hole of the plane and started to tunnel and realized, holy fuck, we're actually several meters under snow here. Oh God, like a capsized boat. Yeah. And it, they were stuck in there with, um, as I said, like about three foot of headroom like between them and the ceiling and air running out and the air was running out they only realized they were starting to run out of air when they started coughing and that's when nando old uh, skullhead squishy brain got a big metal pole from the luggage racks and somehow managed to force a fucking hole in the side of that plane holy <gasps> shit i know like I'm even thinking about the sheer lack. There was no space even for him to do the maneuver of punching a hole through a fucking plane. What a fucking legend. And so they were able to poke a hole up through the snow to get a bit of ventilation, but they were still trapped in there for like two days, surrounded by the dead, you know, in like essentially a coffin buried under the snow. It was fucking terrifying. They're going to have to make start making tracks. Two days later, they managed to finally dug, dig themselves out from the cockpit to the surface. And then there was a huge blizzard blowing outside. And they basically like, we actually have to get back down in there. Yeah. And they remained trapped in there for three days. And um, there was th- about three. Um, sorry, there was they were in a space that was like tiny. And they were then left with no other choice after three days they started eating they had to start eating the flesh of the newly dead people that had been buried in the avalanche and it was like that was grim i'd say and it was 
so different, I think, to what they had been eating in terms of like they had had frozen flesh that they yeah. could either chew it frozen or they could dry it. And either way, that would change the texture just enough, I think, to kind of trick yourself psychologically. But when they were literally packed into a fucking cell together and had to start basically tearing strips off the Warm bodies nearby, friends. it was like greasy it was like real raw meat flesh. He said it was soft and greasy, streaked with blood and bits of wet gristle. I gagged when I put it in my mouth. Yeah. Yikes. So they, they a kind of a new leadership order kind of emerged again. Like I think it was good. There was like always somebody kind of doing the organizing and they kind of set up a sort of a system for harvesting the flesh from the dead people and like, and rationing it out. Um, they all basically became completely convinced that their only way out would be to climb over the mountains and search for help. Exactly. Yeah. And they'd heard the pilot say that he had said the word Kuriko, Kuriko, uh, before he died. And they believed that this was like, a guy had found Kuriko on the map. And it was looking like it was at the edge of the Andes. And um, so they basically thought like, oh, we've only got one ridge to get over and we'll be like down the other side. There'll be a green valley, you know. And um, so they started to become, you know, totally committed to we're going to hike ourselves out of here. And they did make like different little mini expeditions in the immediate vicinity of the crash site things like looking for the tail of the plane looking yeah. for the other dead who had been sucked out of the plane when they were falling um they found that the altitude sickness so like dizziness and nausea and dehydration snow snow blindness the fact that they were walking with snowshoes made out of chair seats and one of them described it as wearing two manhole lids on your Jeez. feet. So they were slow going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But without them was even worse because they were up to their waist in snow. And like if anyone's ever walked through deep snow, it is exhausting. It is like swimming through concrete. It's horrendous. And so they were like, it. those kind of unplanned say or not super well coordinated efforts were really pretty disastrous yeah like most of the time they just come back with more bad news such as oh you can't see that sos from uh from 20 feet away there unfortunately pointless and so then they basically decided they needed to kind of get more um here's a question why don't they make planes like fluorescent yellow or like bright pink so if they do crash you can see them good point yeah surely them being white and reflective is silly fluorescent yellow would be good because you can see how white in the skies well i was gonna say white in like most landscape a white plane would show up in, yeah. against green fluorescent or orange would but show up against everything perfect yeah i mean truly if they didn't like learn from this I'll, I'll google why so basically they picked a group that were going to be the the expeditionaries, basically. And they p- picked Canessa, the doctor, and Nando, and another guy called Vicentin or Tintin. And they basically picked them and said, you guys are the ones who are going. So you are going to rest. You're going to get more food than everyone else. We're going to basically take care of you in preparation for this trek out. So it was really smart. It was like, right, we need to pick these guys and build them up. 
you know, so that they actually have half a chance of getting over this mountain. And um, so they waited um, for a week, hoping for like the temperatures even to rise a bit um, and uh, just to give them the best shot in terms of weather and stuff. And so on the 15th of November, they started walking like east and they actually found the tail section of the aircraft and they couldn't fucking believe it. Inside there was boxes of chocolate, meat patties, bottle of rum, cigarettes, clothes. Holy shit. It was bonanza. a bonanza. Yeah. They also found the two-way radio. And so they decided to camp that night inside the tail section and they built a fire. Real special treat. And ate chocolate and uh, returned back basically um, to tell everyone that they had the ba- the two-way radio, but they needed to get the battery. It was a whole big thing. They had to get a, a guy who was like an amateur electronics enthusiast. And they forced him to come back to the tail section with them and try and get the two-way radio working. Alas, after several days, they could not get it going, but they did have a fucking huge fight with your man. Um, uh, the guy, Roy was his name, the electronics enthusiast. Apparently a fight broke out because they'd all been sharing a tube of toothpaste to have as dessert. And then they discovered that Roy had his own tube of toothpaste and fucking hell. Dangerous game to play, Roy. Mm. We're literally eating people all around. (laughs) Shit got real, Roy, real fast. And um, they were really fucked off with them. But then, to be fair, when they were returning to the plane after not getting the radio working and everyone and the toothpaste gate, they were in a fucking fowler and they were struck by a blizzard. And Roy wanted to lay down and die. Cassie. I'm with Roy. And Nando was like not having it and practically dragged him bodily back to the plane. It was after that that three more people died and like people were dying now from the gangrene and their infected Mm. wounds. There was one um, who just couldn't, he had an extreme revulsion for eating the meat and he basically died of starvation and he weighed only 25 kilos. Jesus. Which like, I think my toddler is like about that. Oh, absolutely horrendous. And um, then they heard that uh, on the radio that a search had resumed looking for the crash. So I think what it was was they were getting towards the... It was kind of coming into summer at this point because we're in the Southern Hemisphere. And I think that the... um, Snow will melt. Yeah, the snow will melt and they thought, oh, we can recover the bodies now kind of thing. So when they heard that there was a new um, search being mounted, they got loads and loads and loads of the suitcases. Remembering that the SOS hadn't fucking worked a damn, they made an enormous cross at the crash site with everything they could find. Now, would you believe there was another cross after being made in the Andes by some group of scientists. This is like elsewhere in the Andes. There just happened to be this and other they were like, cross. No, no, that's the other scientists. Yes. Don't mind that. Yes, oh don't my. mind that. That's the cross that's there from those scientists, lads. What the fuck? What are the chances? I mean, you do actually just think at this point that... Um, 
Everything is against them. Well, the universe is just having a laugh. So anyway, they still had the lads, um, Canessa, Nando and Tintin were going to go and trek out. And in, um, part of them getting prepped for that was to knit, to make an enormous sleeping bag. It's so smart. They made like basically an enormous three-person sleeping bag so that the lads would have a fighting chance of uh, sleeping out yeah. um, in, the, in the terrible conditions. And so basically on the 12th of December, um, Nando and Canessa and visiting teen or teen teen i think they called them were setting out they didn't have a fucking lick of gear for mountaineering they began climbing the glacier at so they were at twelve thousand feet and the peak was like over fifteen thousand feet high and and they started trekking and uh, after a couple of nights they realized so they got to the top of the mountain and looked over. And you remember they had great kind of They thought hope the, the town would be. Yeah. They were just over the mountain. Yeah. They got to the top of the mountain. No. It was nothing but mountains. Oh, oh my gosh. In every, every direction. direction. So they had, they had no sense they of had which no direction. They had no fucking sense of where they were. Nothing. But they weren't coming back. But that's it. And what they did was, Knessa and Nando told this guy Tintin to go back leave all of his food with them. Okay, perfect. So that they would be able to, like, add time to their trek. They yeah. would have food to last the extra days. And they were like, fuck it, we're just going. You wouldn't want to go back to that fucking plane anyway. Exactly. You'd, and, like, basically, Knessa and T- Nando were like, look, we're marching to our death. Let's yeah, go. we're going to die out here Let's instead. Go. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so those two lads trekked for 10 days. Oh, oh my, my god. god! Yeah, they covered seventy kilometers. Wow! On foot, wearing airplane chairs as snowshoes. Intense. That's incredible. Incredible. And also, they weren't just flat kilometers. They were vertical kilometers and downhill kilometers and up again, climbing up and down and up and down. Um. So. Yeah, and they were like, I mean, everything. They had no gear. They they had no idea how to actually approach climbing a mountain. So they were constantly using these kind of gullies to climb like up. But those gullies were like the exact thing that a mountaineer would be like, get the fuck out of that. That's like a funnel for an avalanche. There was crevasses. There was just like everything could have killed them at any point. And they had fucking nothing but sheer grit. And desperation. Mm. And they were just like, as you said, I'm fucking dying out here. And they were like, oh, sometimes they were sunk up to their hips in the snow despite the um, shoes, shoes, everything. Yeah. So finally, they were able to reach this kind of narrow valley. And they started to see little signs here and there of human life at once was one was like this abandoned soup can was the first thing they found and nando was like this is he it. couldn't even believe in it he was like no this must have dropped out of a plane or something and knessa is like had, he was like the fuck drops out of a plane and then it's like oh wait us, us. <laughs> um and then they find cows I would just run at a cow. You'd eat the cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Wouldn't you? You'd yeah, go and yeah. just have some fucking milk. Obviously. Um, and then, basically, they finally found a river. <gasps> and this was the first, like, moving water. 
that they had seen in like weeks God. and weeks and weeks. I'm looking at pictures of the survivors. They're in yeah. fucking treads. They're in treads. Um, and they saw these guys camped over on the other side of the river. And um, they could, they were screaming at each other from either side of the river and they couldn't believe it. Like we found these guys. We found people, but we can't understand each other. We can't Bollocks. hear each other because of this fucking roaring river. And like he finally, he thought he heard the guy shouting manana tomorrow, tomorrow. And um, so they, they camped the night again and the lads from the other side of the river returned. And he had a note. Um, they Oh yeah, they, they, threw, they threw over a rock with a paper on it and like a pencil for the lads to write down a message. And Nando wrote down, I come from a plane that fell in the mountains. I'm Uruguayan. We have been walking for 10 days. I have a wounded friend up there in the plane. There are still 14 injured people. We have to get out, get them out from here quickly. And we don't know how we don't have any food. We are weak. When are you going to come fetch us? Please. We cannot even walk. (laughs) Where are we? Get a podcast, bitch. <laughs> yeah. That is the long note. Where and the so, fuck have you been? <laughs> yeah. You're not just like, sorry. <laughs> and so, I mean, he barely had the energy to throw the rock back and he was terrified it was going to go in the river, but he managed to get it across to them. And that's when the lads threw back a bit of cheese. Oh. Uh, I mean, I mean, it's well take it. But then the guy had to, this guy is called Sergio Catalan. The, the guy with the note he's a bit of a baller I like Sergio he threw them the bread and the cheese and then he basically this was how fucking out in the middle of nowhere they were he had to ride on horseback for 10 hours to get to, to get to the nearest police station or authority. so they were so lucky to come across him in the first place unbelievably and so then um, they basically got the lads back across the river and they brought them to like a camping hut and started just plying them with food the lads were like more of that please more of that please they just ate and ate and ate and ate and they could like barely like even sort of explain like why where they would come from what had happened they were just like yeah in shock just in deep shock and then like the news like the authorities that appeared when they they were like show us on the map where the plane is and the lads pointed it out and they were like no there's no way you walked from there that's 70 kilometers away and the guys were like that's where the plane is i'm not arguing about this yeah yeah that's where it is and so then they had to like go and like they realized that those authorities didn't have access to a helicopter oh we have to go and find a helicopter meanwhile word had actually started to spread that people had survived this crash and that there was um like lads after trekking out of the wilderness 72 days um after the crash had first taken place and so people journalists with news helicopters beat the actual search and rescue helicopters um in getting to where um nando and canessa were were being held and like raw reporters were trying to interview them and Basically, meanwhile, back at the uh, rack at the ranch, back at the plane, the lads had heard over the radio that their friends had been found, mm. and they were like, "Help's fucking coming!" Yes, and they immediately started being like, "We need to like think up a good uh, prank here now for when the rescuers arrive. We should all get into the plane, and when they arrive, just open the door and ask are they what they're looking for." Did they actually do that? 
I think they did. Crazy. Hijinks. Hijinks. But they also were also like, okay, how do we disguise the fact that we've stayed alive? We've mm. needed. Who's going to confess to the eating? Yes. They were like, we need to clean up our act here now <laughs> a bit. And so they, um, the first rescuers in the helicopter, they got Nando to come with them because he was going to point out exactly where to go. They still were in complete disbelief that these two lads had trekked for 10 days and yeah. gotten out. And so the first helicopter arrived and started to rescue all the boys. And I mean, it was amazing. Not before one of them, one last little prank, um, one uh, afternoon, one of them was screamed, avalanche! And they saw this like huge cloud of smoke rushing towards the fuselage. And then it was your man with a fire extinguisher. Demented. Demented. Oh. They must have been fierce bored though. Once uh, you were kind of fed, you were like, now what? Now high what? jinx. I, I'd say they were fucking high on the thoughts of getting out. And so, yeah, two helicopters um, got rescued them. And um, there was... Um, when they just had to spend one last night in the plane with some of the search and rescue party uh, just because of like accessibility they were so remote where they were like and um so they then carried the remaining survivors to hospitals in Santiago in one hospital in Santiago they closed off a whole wing of the hospital and it was purely dedicated to the survivors of the crash and your man Nando like went to the wing to go in and was stopped and was like oh no no this is just for survivors of the crash and Nando was like hello it's me yeah yes like they all had like hair down to here obviously and like were severely um malnourished and everything and it was in the hospital like some pictures had been taken of the crash site when they were rescued and the boys were really like up in arms about this up in arms Uh, because there was evidence well yeah there was probably arms and um (laughs) they were promised that these pictures were purely for official reasons would never be leaked and meanwhile back in the hospital the doctors were starting to realize that these boys had to have stayed alive somehow Mm -hmm. so it was all kind of like slowly into focus yeah and then like there was so there's a there's supposedly one picture that was published that showed like a partial leg or arm at the crash site Mm. now i have not been able to find that picture i have found a picture that has a blurred out section Mm. that could be it but basically the newspapers glommed onto this information and they basically uh made it seem like it was a bloody like a lord of the flies like fucking things devolved into this depraved yeah, like they couldn't wait to eat all their oh, mates there was like a rumor or like you know og q honors who were like you know it wasn't it was murder yeah they, they were turning on each other like animals like savages and like oh like horrible like headlines like the boys disgrace and like horrendous like the boys have been through such an insane ordeal and like They'd already had so much soul searching about this. Mm-hmm. And luckily, guess who came to the rescue? You really will never guess. The Oprah. Catholic Church. The Catholic oh, no Church. Way. If Oprah had been in her full flight of her powers in 1972, <laughs> guaranteed she would have done it too. But the Catholic Church came out and they were basically like, look, 
the God, you know, God was with the boys on that mountain and they acted in a godly way and like absolved them. We of. think this is a okay. Signed the Vatican. And all was well? Well, everything was better, yes. And they became like kind of weirdly like celebrities. Of course, though. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So Did they, they obviously each, the survivors wrote their own book and or like many of them did. Only two of them. So Nando's really? book is the book that I read on audiobook when we were traveling in South America. Awesome. I Just know. in case things took a turn. It was, I was, tr- I was actually doing the same ro- route, uh, flying over the Andes. And I was like, this is Please. going to be perfect mm. reading. And it was. It was incredible. It was read by an American with a very, a voice I can still hear in my head. So are any of them still Canessa alive? did, um, yeah. Um, so basically there was two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen survivors wow. total out of the original 45, which is pretty fucking terrible. Um, and so when, from the day that they crashed, there was 33. So their number was basically halved in the 72 days that they were stranded yeah. at the crash site. So, like, 72 days, like, over two months. Unbelievable that they survived so long. And they, um, they, you know, with your man, Sergio, the lad who found them mm-hmm. and threw them the cheese. They um, have all stayed, like, best friends with him um, ever since. They Ooh. all get together every year on De- December 23rd, I think it is, that they get gather. It's the day the last of the survivors were airlifted out. And they, like, basically celebrate what they see as their kind of communal birthday. Oh. And um, when Sergio was celebrating his 50th year wedding anniversary, they flew over to uh, surprise him. And how they surprised him was that they... Uh, walked up to him on the street and said they were lost. Could he help them? (laughs) (laughs) It's so good, isn't it? And they all went on to do mad things. Some of them went on to have businesses together. There's two other lads that like got into dairy, dairy export and have like a huge dairy business together. Nando became a race car driver. Why wouldn't you? Canessa became a pediatrics uh, doctor. Um, Yeah. They, they've been doing great and they like basically uh, there, were, there was a couple of things now that were a bit like oh shit, shit buzz so one thing was that actually about five miles from where they were crashed was an empty hotel <laughs> no no full of ta- canned foods no, no. yes like, oh, yes God. and another quite sad thing is and the thing is like truly I mean, that was like searching for a needle in a haystack. Like yeah. they could have just gone like two, you know, meters to the left and walked straight and they would have missed the hotel by, you know, yeah, only yeah. a mile yeah. or so. And they they just could not see it. Oh, Do you know what I mean? Fucking hell. And the yeah. other thing that was quite sad was when they started out the trek, they trekked straight up over the mountain that was in front of them. Um, and apparently if they had just gone the other direction downhill, they actually would have in three days hit a road. Oh, that would have led out. Bollocks. But it would still have been a completely remote road. But still at saved. least it would have been a bit of a road. Yeah. Um, and a bit easier than the old 10 days over the various peaks. Wearing shoes. 
a chairs, chairs and shoes. Chairs shoes. Yeah, yeah. Like an epic no, story. Sorry, absolutely epic. An I'm epic sorry. story. I became lost there in the Andes it was myself. Brilliant. Uh, thank you, Sophie. Thank you, thank dear you listener. listeners. Uh, see you. Bye. See you on the hive. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.